Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. Now moving on to verses 17 through 22, I, I want to ask you to put yourself in Jesus' sandals. I want you to, for a moment, try to picture yourself being him, but you're still yourself, okay? What would be your response to such absurdity being leveled at you? If you had just performed a miracle like you'd never committed a sin, you had lived righteously, you had taught righteously, and you had performed many acts of God that were beneficial to people all over the place, including raising people from the dead. If you had done all of that, and now you've just set this man free, and the community is suggesting that you are an agent of Satan, how would you respond to such an accusation? My fear is that we might, in fact, decide we're going to give that community a sign from heaven called fire and brimstone that comes out of heaven and roasts them like a marshmallow. That's what I would probably do. I'm sure I would be angry. I'm sure I would be disappointed. I'm sure that I would be frustrated beyond measure because that's how I get when people accuse me of things that I know aren't true. So if I was being accused of something like that, wow. But you know, fortunate for you and I, uh, Jesus doesn't fall to that base level of the flesh. Instead, what we find here in this passage is we find him extending the loving heart of the Father by giving these people the opportunity to see how their perspective is wrong. And in giving them the opportunity to see how their perspective is wrong, listen to me, he's also giving them an opportunity to change. He's giving them an opportunity to repent. And that is the loving heart of the Father. As we go through verses 17 through 22, we find three things that Jesus brings as a response to this accusation. Verses 17 and 18, we find Jesus responding by saying, in effect, that your accusation that you are making against me is illogical. You are making a completely illogical accusation. You know, there are some things in our world that are simply self-evident. And when we say something is self-evident, we are saying that uh, there is no need for that thing to be proven to be true for everybody to know that it's true. And the reason is because in that particular area, the issue is self-evident evident. And such is the statement that Jesus makes about kingdoms and households being divided against themselves. It is self-evident that when an organization or a family or even an individual is divided against themselves, they're not going to be able to stand. They're not going to be able to prosper. They're not going to be able to move forward. In fact, you're going to see that they will fall. And Satan is not exempt. If, if Satan's demons, listen to me now, if Satan's demons are enslaving people, <laughs> and then Jesus, according to them, an agent of Satan, is coming along and delivering them from that uh, uh, captivity, then how is Satan's kingdom going to stand? How is it going to be able to advance? It's kind of like this. Imagine, if you would, that I'm outside with a block of concrete that's just been poured, and I'm smoothing it out and leveling it out, but you keep coming along and putting your hand in it. 
Now, you pull your hand out, and I level it up again. You put your hand in it again, and I level it out, and you put your hand in it again. I mean, listen, we're going to be doing that forever, and that concrete's never going to get smooth. Because you can't have one thing going this way and one thing going that way and expect to find success. So if Satan is using Jesus to cast out his own oppressors, then basically what he is doing is grinding himself into the dirt and his demise is inevitable. And so Jesus simply says, you know, your accusation is bogus. And it's bogus because it is completely illogical. Looking at verses 19 through 20, we find Jesus also stating that by their accusations and their statements, they're not incriminating him, they're incriminating themselves. <laughs> they're really not making accusation against him, but actually against themselves. By claiming that exorcism was an evidence of the power of Satan at work, these nefarious accusers were inadvertently, unintentionally condemning their own rabbis, scribes, and Pharisees who also purported to uh, carry out exorcism. And so, In that way of thinking then, those Jewish religious leaders were also in league with Satan. Now, of course, that's not their intent. It's not what they meant to do. Because it was universally held that these religious leaders were doing the work of God by the power of God when they cast out demons. And so Jesus basically just takes their words and uses them against him. He turned against them. He turns the tables on them and basically asks this question. Is it by God or is it by Satan that evil spirits are cast out? Which is it? You can't have it both ways. Which is it? If you say, well, demons are cast out by God, then the conclusion is I'm of God. And if it is by Satan that demons are cast out, then your leaders are satanic agents just like you say I am. They were incriminating themselves. We come to verses 21 and 22, and Jesus basically says to them that the things they are saying actually are testifying to his power and his identity. We find that Jesus, like a master grandmaster chess player uses their words and their logic and he backs them into a corner that they can't escape from because the answers to his arguments are self-evident the power that is coursing through his body is Yahweh's it is not Satan and to prove that he takes them back to their own history to make the point there are three Old Testament occurrences where the phrase finger of God appears. The first one was at the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Most of us recall the 10 plagues that God used to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And we're also aware that many of those plagues were actually replicatable by the magicians of Egypt. So Moses would do one, and then they would replicate it. Oh, so that's no big deal. Uh, He would do another, they'd replicate it, no big deal. But the third plague, the plague where the gnats came, Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. The magicians tried to replicate it. They tried to make the same things happen, but they were unable. And ultimately, they had to go back to Pharaoh, and they had to give a reason. 
They had to give a reason why they weren't able. And the answer that they gave was, this, what is occurring, is not just happening among magicians and not just happening among lower spirits of the underworld. This, my friend, is the finger of God. And that's what they said. And it's recorded there in Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. The second occurrence comes when God gave the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 24 through chapter 31 records the whole storyline there of Moses on Mount Sinai, and he's meeting with God, and God is giving him a variety of instructions. And one of the important instructions he gives to Moses is the Ten Commandments. In fact, what we know about the Ten Commandments is that God actually took two tablets of stone and personally wrote the commandments into the stone. And when you go and you look it up, you find this. You find that uh, in Exodus chapter 31 verse 18 and Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 10 says that the commandments were written on stone with the finger of God. The last one I want to bring to your attention uh, has to do with Belshazzar's palace. This is on down the road quite a ways. We're now in the Old Testament book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 5. We've gone through King Nebuchadnezzar, and we now have Belshazzar in power. And Belshazzar uh, Belshazzar decides to throw a great feast. And uh, there's a whole lot of drinking and a whole lot of immorality that's taking place. And somewhere in all of that craziness... He gets the idea that he's going to have the golden vessels that had been taken out of the tabernacle or out of the temple when Israel was sacked. They've been in storage. He's going to bring those out, and he's going to pour wine and such into those, and he's going to use those holy implements of Yahweh to lift a glass and to give praise and glory to Babylon's gods which is basically saying, see, Babylon's gods are much greater than Israel's, or Israel wouldn't be here being our slaves, and their sacred utensils wouldn't be in my hand. And so from that, we find that in the midst, Daniel chapter 5, verse 5, in the midst of all this revelry, in the midst of all this toasting of the Babylonian gods, we find these words immediately, The finger of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster wall. Verse 9 gives the message. The finger wrote to Belshazzar, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You say, oh, hang on a minute, pastor. You just read it and said it was the finger of a human hand. Well, yeah, that's the way it would look to those who are seeing it. But when we continue on with the story and we come down to verse 25, it tells us, that the finger and the hand that was visible was sent from the presence of God. And so it was the finger of God, so to speak, that was writing that message. And guess what happened? That very night, Belshazzar died, and Darius the Mede rose and took power over Babylon. God had sent him the message by the power of his own finger. Now, These accounts that I've just brought to your attention were very well known to the Israelites. And basically when he makes this statement about casting out demons by the finger of God, he's referring right back to those things. And he is saying, 
that that's exactly what he's doing. It is the finger of God. It is by the power of God is what he's actually saying. It is by the power of God that I cast out these demons. And if that is true, then what you folks in this community need to understand is that the kingdom of God has just come upon you. Now, having made that point from the very scriptures that they revered, Jesus goes on to give them a brief but powerful parable to place the exclamation point on his response. Jesus talks about a strong man. This is a parable. He talks about a strong man. He talks about this strong man being fully armed and because he's fully armed, guarding his palace. And because he's guarding his palace, his goods are safe. That's easy to picture. But then Jesus speaks of one stronger than the strong man who comes in and uh, attacks the strong man and overcomes him in the attack and takes away the armor that he'd been trusting in and then divides his spoil. What's that all about? What does that even mean? Well, the meaning is really not too hard to discern when we take other truths of Scripture and bring them to bear. First of all, the strong man that he's talking about there is Satan. That's who he's talking about. And the goods that the strong man is trying to keep and protect are the souls of fallen humanity. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission. On Mission.